What's up, Asymmetry? Lonnie, content producer here this week. We are bringing the whole team in, or should I say the majority of the team in, to discuss how we're feeling, what it's like around the office, uh, CRISPR DNA replications, and uh, some controversial thoughts about digital versus analog. Join us, get to know us a little bit better, and can't wait to hear ya. Micha? <laughs> Dang it! <laughs> Sit back, relax, enjoy. Ah, uh, Orlando, Florida. That is my, that's my consistent experience with Florida is Orlando and Tampa Bay and that, that region of Florida. And inside of that region, Plant City specifically, mm. which is a really small place. Well, it's actually kind of amazing, and I think you had a similar experience. There's like downtown Orlando, and there's not really much like natural space. Everything feels like a like a human made park or something. And then, but if you go like twenty thirty minutes outside of the city, you can find these like gems, like Wakaiwa Springs, or is it Wakaiwa? I know there's like Wakaiwa River, and then Wakaiwa Springs. I think is like the. I always said Wakaiwa Springs. Yeah, but are those the ones you filmed at that you showed this? The environmental yeah. videos. Yeah. Them. Well, that's yeah. where the oldest bald cypress in the world is, too, or was. Oh, before, really? Before it got burned down. Yeah. <gasps> when did yeah. it burn down? I don't know. I think I'm a crackhead. It's a hollow, it was a hollow trunk tree, and I do believe a, a drug consumer was inside of it and lit it on fire. Oh, oh I gosh. did see that. Yeah. The I remember seeing oh, that. Yeah. No. Yeah. 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 Only in Florida. Only in Florida. Florida. Florida man. Salts. Yeah. I'm sorry for I'm surprised listeners. I like both of you as much as I do. Got out. No, I'm just kidding. People in Florida are, are, are great, but I don't know what that state does. There was a town near where I grew up called Grand Junction, Colorado. And and I have I have nothing but love for Grand Junction as like a childhood memory because it was the closest place that I could go to an actual mall and like go clothes <laughs> shopping or be in touch with modern society because I grew up in such a small pocket in the mountains of Colorado. Um, but there was like there is like a an oddly tainted vibe to Grand Junction. There's like a you know a dark side to Grand Junction, and then it turns out that like a a fairly significant portion of that uh of grand junction is built on old uranium tillings oh. what yeah yeah or at least that's what i heard Does and as a kid like and as a kid i was like that explains it there you go i don't know if that's actually true or not <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was enough to satisfy my curiosity of what yeah. the hell was going on there that correlation Stranger is all thing. you needed You're i was like, pretty much like well that explains it you, know? you just went to the upside down really quick it seems <laughs> what's that the upside down you gotta watch stranger things mm-hmm. so what i'm Have saying is stranger things is stranger it's a good show where it's you've never spooky seen stranger season. things no oh, i haven't gosh. watched tv in like it's it's on decades. netflix it's not tv oh. no one watches tv anymore i mean wow. it is kind of still tv yeah There's I guess no commercials, so. it's a so. show I, I watch TV with commercials. Yeah, I do. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Wow. Do you have cable? No, but I'll I'll watch Fargo live every Sunday night. Mm. Sit through those commercials. It's worth the wait. Wow. <laughs> Interesting. Wow. I'll do that for the Kardashians. <laughs> oh. It is funny because <laughs> like there's a natural break where if you are watching something you really love with people and you can talk about it between like during the commercial breaks, like that's actually value that's the one that's the one valuable aspect of commercials when you're watching something that you yeah really you enjoy. mute and then gush about whatever happened mm-hmm. 
So now you have to pause it and be like, hold on, there's not a commercial break, so let's... Mm -hmm. So it's just silence when you pause it? There's no no gray noise in the background? Right, so it could be awkward. The only thing that I think about in terms of commercials is is a McDonald's commercial. That's that's the only commercial that I really remember. Which one? Do you being remember separated that? like several decades from TV? Which one? Do you remember it like specifically? Um, the one that ends with "I'm loving it," uh, and then like the that. like the arches <laughs> turn into a smile. Uh-huh. You know, that's it. That's, that's all I got. That's just yeah. the end of every commercial. Is that's it their brand? Book. Is it yeah. still? Yeah. Yeah. But still up, there. Up, up, up. yeah. Sorry, we're going to get sued now. Somebody (laughs) told me the other day that uh, they're like, you know, it's crazy that McDonald's has taken out all of their play palaces or whatever, you know, like the kids playstations are. And I was like, I don't I don't think that they in fact, I I know that they haven't done that. And they're like, what? They still have play. I I mean, they're not open. Right. But but uh, to think that McDonald's would ever lose that component of their (laughs) of their like business model, they get them while they're get us while you while we're young come in play have a cheeseburger yeah, made of not meat yeah the ball pit yeah the that's ball right. pit that's what i'm saying was that on the ride back when we were coming back from crater lake is that what is that yeah, when that we happened? talked about it on the way back the ball that's pit right and, and then you had to explain Taft to taff why it was gross he's like what and it was just yeah. it was a he was in awe yeah yeah he was <laughs> he was like i don't feel so good about that anymore <laughs> i have such few like social interactions outside of school when I was growing up that wasn't in my household that like I remember specifically like jumping in ball pits and seeing these other kids and just feeling icky (laughs) (laughs) wait can we unpack that a little bit more (laughs) (laughs) sure I don't know do you you see kids eat their boogers as much now as you used to when you were younger no No. that's a good question See, I feel like I do I I have noticed this because I, I went to a daycare when I was younger right and there were several kids that just, you know, like the kid that has the constant runny nose and they're always sniffing and it's like, yeah, it just all just all up in their sinuses is all messed up, you know, for bless their heart, whatever reason. <laughs> and and usually that it seemed to me the so- association I drew when I was a, a, a young kid in daycare was those tended to be the same kids that would like lick the snot off their lip or eat their boogers. Mm. <laughs> and... I have not seen a child do that in a very long time. And so I'm just thinking, I'm like wondering, did that go out of vogue or like... I haven't seen children in a long time. Really? I mean, yeah. I see your kid and the kid on his Zo- the kids on his Zoom call. Yeah. None, <laughs> of, them, like none, none of them are sitting there eating their boogers. They're, they're, not, not they're not. And they're exposed. I mean, they're just, they're on Zoom all day long. Yeah, you think no, you catch true. them doing it. it is. Yeah. I mean, I have nieces and nephews, a lot of nieces and nephews. I can't really remember much booger eating. Yeah. Yeah, not as much as when I was a kid. Like, I, that's what I'm saying. Not yeah. as much as when you were a kid. Yeah, this is. We can make a documentary on this. This oh, is the God. next. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. know if that's where our talents are needed. <laughs> yeah. What are we gonna call it? Mm. The end of an era. Uh, I'm shocked. I'm shocked, Eve, that you watched the Kardashians. I just have to say that I needed to get that off my chest. I always do. I just want. It's really. A, it's a love or hate thing that once people know about me, it can really. It can definitely turn you off. Think so. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, everyone. I wonder how Cooper feels about that. He hates it. We've 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 <laughs> we've talked about it before. No, he doesn't hate it. I just. I, the show itself is not what I go for. It's for the. Is it similar no, to... No, hang on, hang on. It's for the... I guess it's for the social commentary, the people. Uh-huh. 
Well, it's I entertainment. Guess. It also probably makes you feel a little bit better about your own life. It does. Right? It I think. Does. I mean, I was just listening to a podcast about why people really enjoy horror and like going through mm. a haunted house. And, you know, after the fact, a lot of people become much more relaxed because they weren't fearful for their own anxieties, like necessarily or like what worries them on a day to day basis. They were like, there's immediate bad stuff. Yeah. So you're watching the Kardashians. really minimizing when it's just like, oh, my God, my facial was bad. I'm like, <laughs> What a hard Monday. <laughs> you know? Like, man. My four-hour spa appointment. Uh, yeah. Out. Man, that's rough. Cool sculpting. Sounds painful. Must so so you're comparing your own life to theirs and getting what out of it? No, I'm not. It's not always comparing. It's just kind of like there's also to watch. It's like an ins- – it's just – It's. I think it's voyeurism. I think a lot of it is voyeurism. Oh, it's like I yeah. just want to watch – what you do in your house and i want to observe it i don't necessarily think that like you yourself are interesting but i enjoy looking into your life mm. <laughs> it's but kind of that way with all reality tv though like yeah. i'm like i'm kind of stuck here now if what about the video game the kardashian video game Tell okay we don't it. have to talk about that when was the last time Sorry. you got first play isn't it a monthly <laughs> it was a leader? long time it was it's weekly it was weekly competitions in a oh, game wow. But I like designing Jesus, the Jesus outfits. Jesus really opened something up here. Jesus yeah. outed me. I've been yeah, playing I know it for nothing years. about this. It's it's. Listen, I've been playing the game for a very long time, Lonnie. I used to have to play it multiple times a day. I would set alarms to wake up and play it in the oh. middle of the night. Oh wow! Cooper's wow. <laughs> <laughs> nodding. <laughs> hey, when you like, I, when I, you want to win, you want to win. Exactly. I actually relate <laughs> to that. Like when I play a video game and it's competitive at all. I will only play that game and I will do my best with the time that I give myself to play it to like do it. Yeah. Do it right. And I do it while it's enjoyable. I killed it. And yeah. listen, and then I'm done. I'm done winning. So I'm just retiring now a little bit. <laughs> oh, <laughs> retiring. Yeah, at the peak yeah. of your game. But you were a video like serious gamer. Yeah. I mean, through high school, if I wasn't playing paintball, I was playing competitive uh PC gaming, like tournaments and stuff like that. What was your game of choice again? Uh, the first game I got competitive with was probably the first Call of Duty, like Call of Duty 1 mm. on PC. Huh. Otherwise, I was playing Unreal Tournament, Counter-Strike. Um, I, I mean, uh, yeah, competitively, I would play those games, but... Did you most, ever win anything? Did I ever win anything playing PC? I, I, like, would... My team would, like, place decently in a tournament, but I didn't get, like first but uh -huh. i would go hard though huh but other like when people like me going hard is much different than a, like a lot of other gamers going hard like some people like have in uh i think korea people have oh i'm going oh. i gotta mute <laughs> uh, there's korea, that 2005 like, text right there because there's so much competitive nature there's so, so much competitiveness in people especially in uh, a lot of asian countries like they will just sleep two three hours and get up and like play the game more, you know, wow. and like people have died in internet cafes because they're just what dedicated to playing the game. I have not heard of that. Mm -hmm. From a lack of sleep, you mean? Yeah, lack of yeah. sleep, lack of nutrition, whatever. They're just living. What a harsh way to go yeah. in an internet cafe. Yeah, I feel like I've had a pretty healthy balance over time. <laughs> and it is, also, it is also just like a, like for me, it was like a cheap paintball. It was like I get to go home and then I get to like, work with teammates to strategize and figure out how to like work together to defeat the other team and huh. figure out their weaknesses and all that. So, and again, speaking to my lack of socializing growing up, it was like a way for me to socialize with other people. 
Boy, it is very visually stimulating. Did you play video games? You seem to relate to Josh here, just the Josh and Josh. Not really. The like, Josh I, would, and Josh. I would get into phases where I would play video games, but I would get really angry at the game after like a couple of days and I would just stop for months. As a kid, like we didn't have, I have the first video game set I ever played was my dad's Atari. Oh, uh-huh. that's, that's awesome. A, yeah, that's good. dating myself a little bit. but um, And then I found a Nintendo at a garage sale, and it didn't work. I think it worked for like one half of a game, Aww. and then it quit working. And so, yeah, I didn't have video games yeah. growing up. I, had, I think I also started with an Atari, although I didn't play too much because I very quickly found that. Like my, my dad bought Nintendo, the original NES Nintendo, like right when it came out bought zelda right when that came out oh. and beat it by the next day like my dad what? stayed up overnight and beat the first zelda in a day that's crazy and um so that was kind of my foundation for like oh here's an introduction to something that you can be doing with your time <laughs> <laughs> and i was like sounds good zelda was the one game that i actually loved in college ocarina mm. of time nintendo 64 oh yeah it's mm. so good yeah, when Kindle was working here, she used to go home and like have major Zelda sessions still. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Big Zelda player, for, as far as I knew, anyways. That's what she would say. Yeah. I mean, my real true love of a lot of video games is like a really good RPG that's going to take me 60 hours to get through. And I have to like learn the characters' like personalities to respond the right way to, you know, get, I don't know. That like it's almost like, um, I mean, I'm a big fan of Lord of the Rings. And I think you are too. And there's a game called Dragon Age. And you're basically in this like universe that's very much like Middle Earth. Wow. And learning all the nuances of it because it's as fleshed out as Middle Earth is. And you're going through hours and hours of gameplay that makes you feel like you're like a part of that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. The the whole video game industry right now is something just pretty spectacular. Yep. They're dumping way more money into video games than they are into Hollywood productions, and mm-hmm. the, the design teams are huge. And but we have—I don't know if you guys know this—but we have several students that work on like major, major video games. Oh, cool! Yeah, yeah. It's—it's uh, it's actually, re- yeah, it is really cool. And you'd never know it unless they chose to talk about it you'd never know what half of them are they're all so mysterious yeah yeah, they are very mysterious (laughs) we're friendly i swear everyone we're very friendly how about we introduce ourselves yeah just because we're all voices on a microphone oh that's true huh yeah yeah. everybody knows you all by name somehow but they probably haven't connected the dots right right of the current mariah team well why don't you start since this is your idea sure sure hi everyone i'm eve you probably know my voice um i'm the project manager once did video work (laughs) <laughs> i once was an artist i once no i am an artist still there you go. <laughs> listen i'm an artist with a calendar now um <laughs> let's an see artist with a calendar I'm an that's artist actually with a calendar. powerful it's a powerful oh, combination oh thank you i'm gonna put that on my like linkedin bio put it in your signature artist with a calendar Ooh, ooh, i like that change okay. your title artist yeah. with a calendar yeah i actually think that's quite nice okay. no more project manager all right well josh you're up next uh, I'm way. Josh. You've seen me stumble trying to uh, do anything with Bones Eye uh, myself. <laughs> and um, beginner, beginner series. Beginner seri- star of the beginner series. Although Ryan probably is the one talking through 87.8% of all of those episodes. But Josh says this because he's also the one editing himself. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. 
I like to cut myself out whenever I <laughs> <laughs> um, You know what you do really well is you cut yourself out and then you find the worst possible stop moments for me. <laughs> which I which I've really come which I've really come to value and appreciate. Uh, that the most awkward face that could possibly be made is generally the one that you pick. <laughs> oh, there was one. No, I know. <laughs> there, always is, there always is one somewhere. Uh, no, anyway, I, I do, respect the game. I do, uh, I do more than uh, beginner series on camera stuff, I guess. I, do, <laughs> I guess. I guess. Uh, a <laughs> little bit of that, a little bit of this. <laughs> Josh does a little bit of everything. A little bit of everything. Yeah. A little bit of everything. All right. A little photography. All the stuff. Photography, video, motion graphics when we are dabbling in it, which hopefully we'll we'll do more. Is it, is it a teaser? Uh, we have it we have it have it planned, but yeah. maybe one maybe one day. If only there were unlimited amounts of hours in the days oh gosh, and an unlimited right. size of our team, we would take over the world with bonsai. It is a fact. Right. If anyone knows how to slow down time, email us. Info at bonesimeri.com. It seems inevitable. We've grown substantially over a couple of years. Yes, we have. So, yes, we have. See where it goes. Yep. Speaking of, of growth, JP, uh, who Speaking are you? Speaking of growth, JP, uh, newer to the team, a couple months now, I guess. Yeah. Seems way longer, which is always a good thing. Feels like a lifetime. It does. Yeah. <laughs> We've done a lot in a few months. Uh, director of business operations. So again, kind of do a little bit of everything. Um, finance, classes, everything. <laughs> you came on. I actually felt really bad when you came on because you came on and it's like, hey, JP, the world is going to come crashing down on you right now. I hope that this is okay. <laughs> Pretty much great. every business decision that has to be made in the annual course of Mirai, uh, you like came in, you're here for a week, and it's like, okay, JP, time to time to solve all these problems. <laughs> Let's do it. And, yeah. and he's solving them, folks. Oh, he's yeah. Solving them. He's a monster. And you happen to be one of the uh, finer cooks or creators oh, yeah. of food yeah. that I've actually personally experienced. Five stars one from Taft. One of my favorite... Favorite pastimes too, so it's not working for me. <laughs> Love to cook. But you came from the you came from you have kind of an interesting background. Yeah, so I came from the restaurant industry for the longest part of my career. Took a couple years off to join a consumer product startup, which was absolutely insane. It was about a year and a half. Um, joined on the the company. Uh, they had raised around a funding from venture capitalist firms and pretty major venture capitalist firms in LA and New York and joined on in a similar role as what I have here at Mirai. And uh, yeah, in that 15 months, I went from living in LA to living in Minneapolis and working in a an accelerator program um, called Techstars. Uh, worked with a ton of execs from uh, large companies there as our mentors. Then we came back to LA, moved the business to Portland, and then uh, yeah, things. It's an interesting story we can get into someday, <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. Um, but yeah, and then you know, I got back into the restaurant industry um, for a bit and realized that I had done everything that I wanted to do there, and had been looking for a while, and uh, stumbled upon uh, the job description at Mirai, which is basically all the things that I love to do. So. Um, I had a similar experience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait, what do you, you want me to film some trees? 
should explain that that was and that the was wrong. Is yes, <laughs> yes. So we should explain that JP is is our second Josh. So we also refer yeah. to him as Josh. So I apologize for the confusion. Yeah, Josh, and I also Josh. should really start signing my emails as JP, but it's hard because my name's Josh Porter. So it's like maybe you should know. just go by the full full thing, Josh Porter. Josh Porter. Josh Porter. Great. I have a question for you. <laughs> Josh Sales and Josh Porter. Mm-hmm. I'm also I'm actually also a JP. Josh yeah, Patrick. Yeah. Yeah, which makes it yeah. even worse. <laughs> <laughs> which makes it even worse. And if we said JPs, that would also be you, Josh. Patrick Sales. Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh, wow. 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 And I'm JP because of John Prine. I don't know. Are you a JP? Are you JP for a reason? No. Just okay. past life. Wait, if you were a JP because of John Prine, wouldn't you be named John Prine? No, it was just the initials is, is what... We're desirable. That's why it's where Patrick came from anyway. So Patrick was inspired by JP as the initials for John Prine. Yeah, huh. it's a little, it's a little Easter egg. It's a I, little. Uh, I got you. You know, you'll see it if uh, you check out my my grave my gravestone. I feel like this is the cornucopia that is Josh Sales right here, <laughs> right? <laughs> cornucopia. It's like the three dimensional model of your name. Mm-hmm. Came from a lot of different places. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Despite the fact that my last name is Sales. <laughs> <laughs> Lonnie, who are you? <laughs> no, I'm it's me. <laughs> I'm Lonnie. I'm me. Um, I'm Lonnie Milton. I uh, am a, also a recent hire. I came on as a content producer here at Mirai. Hmm. Uh, I, I is that I, all you wrote down, Lonnie? <laughs> I did write notes for this. I came prepared. I have a notebook. Yes. I, I wrote down things that I'm doing during COVID because uh, who who remembers time? Right now. <laughs> First time. Right. I don't. That's interesting. I so, uh, Lonnie uh, prepped. That's, that's me. Lonnie yeah. prepped. Can you read us an insert? Um, uh, or am I putting you on the page. spot? I mean, it, they're, they're bullet points. They're bullet oh, points. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I can tell you uh, one, of, one of the things I've been doing. Yes. So I have been quarantining with, I live in a duplex. And so it, I have friends on the other side of the the wall that I live in. Friends uh, on the in, other in side. The <laughs> so, so my quarantine pod is um, a, a couple with my partner and I. And so we've been curating movie nights. And so we've Ooh. been honing in on different directors or writers or random themes. Like uh, because COVID has been so repetitive, we did a triple feature of repetitive movies like uh, Groundhog's ah. Day. Uh, mm. And wow. what was it? Uh, here, oh. let me reference my notes. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, here we go. Here, I can, can hear the pages flip. There you go. <laughs> That's really uh, <laughs> um, uh, Palm Springs, if anyone's seen that on Hulu, mm-hmm. uh, recent film yep okay cooper approved from cooper and then uh happy death day where someone just gets murdered on their birthday so so we have some comedy we have some horror and uh been doing that for months and so so whether it's like focused on uh spike lee or a theme what's uh, been one of your best what's been one of your best discoveries in terms of a movie that you hadn't seen before (sighs) so there's the director of Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a crazy trajectory. Um, let me, let me, uh, oh, oh. So he did Silence of the Lambs, right? He also did Stop Making Sense, 
the Talking Heads movie, like concert film. Anyone seen that? Nope. No. 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 Uh, awesome. Iconic. Great fashion. <laughs> uh, super wacky. But thinking of like the same guy who did like Silence of the Lambs. Classic, like yeah. freaky. Just doing this like art house concert film. Boggled my mind. Huh. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, is that uncommon for a director to make those kinds of opposing themed films? Is that not normal? No, no, I mean, not in Hollywood. Uh, I, yeah, it's not necessarily in Hollywood. No. I, the one that comes to mind is um, the guy that started off with a like three thousand dollar budget for his movie. Is it El Mariachi? Oh yeah, mm -hmm. like R Robert Rodriguez. Robert Rodriguez. He ended same. up doing like Shark Boy and Lava Girl, yeah. and then <laughs> Sin, <laughs> Sin City. Oh, that's right. Uh, oh, so yeah. that's a stark contrast. But yeah, it's it's few and far between. I would say for successful big time directors, because like you prove that you can make a certain kind of movie, yeah. you can get a big budget for it. Yeah. But then once you get successful enough, I feel like I think it's know. like I think it's like the same with actors where some are typecast and some kinda of, kinda of go all over. It's probably just the same with directors. Interesting. Yeah. And then they if they really want to branch out, they'll like start their own production company yeah. or help produce movies that are out of their wheelhouse or that's yeah. I mean, Spielberg is a good I mean, example of that. At like the end of the day you have to pay bills. So some of them are like doing whatever they can sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good discovery, though. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. It's so interesting to talk with film people about f film and movies. Because I, it's I like, would say that Cooper what's your favorite movie? <laughs> you know, like, what's your favorite movie? And somebody's like, whatever, you know, like, I don't know, Wayne's World. And then you yeah. talk to like somebody who does film and they're like, it's like some obscure foreign film from some director <laughs> long ago. And you just feel like. Yeah, I I know about that. I know all about that. This I feel great. like all the Mariah crew has the like perfect balance of being knowledgeable, but also not the like kind of pretentiousness that can come from some any field where it's like an art that can get really niche, which was like a lot of my film school experience. I very quickly found the group of people that were like not just in it to talk about names that they memorized from IMDb, but like actually wanted to just make some movies. Hmm. But I think also just through uh, wanting to learn more about, um, you know, like how far a director can go and like finding something new and fresh. Where like when you get into movies, like you've already sucked up all of the like good Hollywood movies. And then you're like, oh, what else is out there? That's like, that's good. So you got to go to foreign movies. You got to yeah. go to like independent stuff. And uh, to continue finding like new, fresh takes on how to tell a story. Yeah, I think there's also so much like media out there already that for a movie to be significant enough to reoccur in your memory, it, it kind of tends to be abstract. Because it was like, well, that was really interesting, and I kept thinking about it. Because I remember one film that like I went to go see an obscure film with Cooper, and we got a huge parking ticket. It was quite unfortunate, but uh, <laughs> it was like. At the time, I was like, that wasn't what I expected it to be from the trailer, but I thought about it for the next, like, two weeks. Oh. Yeah. Oh. It was called The Last Black Man in San Francisco, and it was just, like, super... I, there was, like, so much to keep processing from it, whereas um, maybe something that might be more common, it's pretty easy to grasp what it's telling you, so it doesn't resound with you as much. Huh. Yeah, or give you a reason to ask more questions about it. As exactly. Like You're even not left that, wondering. Like even a movie that just like actually frustrates you. Like I've been frustrated by so mm -hmm. many movies. Yeah. And then 
I, I'm like, oh, why was I frustrated? Like, was it because it didn't fit that usual story like structure that I'm so conditioned to experience and I wasn't as fulfilled at the end? And then like I kind of have to break apart my own bias before I like actually decide if it was a trash movie or if I just mm. didn't have a good like an open enough mind to the experience. So yeah. What kind of film you like, Jesus? Yeah, also Jesus, tell us what you do here. Yeah, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We skipped Ryan, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> the man needs good. no introduction. Yeah. It's, all, it's all good. I talk a lot. <laughs> well, I'm Jesus Contreras. I'm another video producer. And probably you know me because I'm close-up camera on the live stream. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, what kind of movies? It's like trying to pick your child. You know, like I have so many of them that it's like hard to say like, oh, I like this one in specific. Mm. I like... a genres and also like i mean i can go from like at some point in my film school i was really into russian films from the oh. 20s actually they were the ones who like established the like the language of filming as we know it today they were the first ones bringing like from just setting the camera in the beginning to like a real like language of filming huh. so i was really into that and now, like, I mean, I also like trash TV, so it's kind of, like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> can, can you can can you can you uh, quantify trash TV? I love uh, House Hunters. Yeah, <laughs> so like for some reason that's trash just... tv oh goodness <laughs> <laughs> jp then do you watch trash oh, tv no. too <laughs> no, no, thing like that We're i think everyone has guilty pleasure tv yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. i appreciate you for sharing that jesus now yeah. i feel less lonely in my yeah, kardashian you were definitely hut. isolated in the corner my <laughs> one reality <laughs> show has probably been amazing race that's like the one that that one, that one can get pretty cheesy yeah it can get cheesy and they still like to this day shoot it and edit it like it's from 1999 <laughs> <laughs> but it's still like it feels like there's less control or less control that the producers can have it feels a little bit more authentic and you get to kind of sort of travel with these people as they do yeah. some sh i don't know yeah, but yeah, yeah it's still not not great it's not great well, but, <laughs> but coming from because you grew up in mexico city mm -hmm. right Yep. Do do you have any attachment or affinity for Mexican films, or is most of your film taste uh, outside of Mexico? Like you just said, Russian film, but what you know? I think it is um, the Mexican cinema actually was really close to the uh, Russian cinema in the forties, because we have a bunch of uh, Russian uh, filmmakers coming to Mexico. It was when like. Uh, we have a communist party in Mexico and Frida Kahlo actually, like the famous Mexican painter came from that uh, group of people. Huh. And we had a lot of influence at some point. I don't think they, they're doing that anymore, but it was, if you go to film school in Moscow, you will take like Mexican uh, cinema as uh, one of the classes and vice versa in the Mexican school. So it was like a disconnection that born in the 30s, 40s. Right. And then it kept evolving. And even today, like the Mexican filmmakers, the famous one like Alfonso Cuaron or uh, Del Toro, they're, they're still using that language, that kind of like shooting in their movies. Interesting. Uh, if you really want to get into the film, at least in my generation, it was different. It was 
in back in Mexico, we have two really big film schools. And they were owned by the government. And it was really hard to get into. Because you need to know someone to get into the school. And because it's free, like you get everything paid. And there are really good film schools. Digital came and that changed, you know, like now everyone can make a movie with your phone. But in those days, it was like a little different. And even for me, it was easier going outside of Mexico to, to film school than stay in Mexico and trying to learn film school. Mm -hmm. So I think in, in, in the Mexican cinema from the 90s up to 2000, we have really good movies, but also like really bad movies. And it was like nothing in between. It was like, or you have an amazing movie or like a really bad. Mm. But now with digital, it's like more diverse. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I'm open to everything. I like, once again, like, mm. can appreciate the work that people put on a film. When you were growing up, what were, like, what was the ratio of like a Mexican produced movie versus like Hollywood? Was it like uh, mixed? That's, that's, a, that's a good question because it, a lot of politics are involved in that. In the 90s, from the 80s to the 90s, uh, we didn't produce anything. Or just like the film schools and it was like super high elevated films. And all the movies that we consumed came from the Hollywood. And it was either uh, on like with subtitles or dub to Spanish. So the government had to pass a law. And I think it was like in the mid 90s where like the government will put some tax breaks and also put like some grant money. And thanks to that, like, I, I think the film changed. So at some point, I think it was like, under that law, it was, if you have a movie theater in Mexico, you will have to show at least one or two movies every weekend. And that are, that the, are local or from? Local, yeah, Mexican produce. Because before it was, all of it, it was pretty much coming from Hollywood. So that helped to like push the, the cinema and in Mexico. And today, I mean, the last three biggest filmmakers, the Mexican filmmakers have won Oscars in the last 10 years. Right. Like two of the best uh, DPs in the world are Mexicans because like they put like a lot of money in trying to develop. It's like a sport, you know, you put money and try to like see if it works. And so far it's been working, but actually they just pass a law like a few months ago that those grants are going to be taken out. So oh. we'll see how it goes. Yeah. But we have digital. Now digital is like a different monster. So is there a loss of is there a loss of experience or quality or any aspect with the digital shift away from film? Uh I really think that anyone being able to make a short film on their own with their like phone or, you know, if they want to dig into, if they want to become a photographer, they can be intentional about the photos they're taking for social media. I think all of that is awesome. And I'll notice that like people have no traditional training, but they're like, I'm like, oh, wow. Like you're actually learning how to take photography and you're like going by the rule of thirds and you're like, <laughs> um, but in terms of like digital, do you mean like uh, what you see on YouTube or what do you mean? No, I mean, it's like, you know, you can talk about digital photography versus film. And that, those are two completely different things. They really are two completely different things. But when you move into video, 
you know, does that does that change have as uh, the same kind of connotation as it does in the photographic realm? I don't. From one time, I went to a, a convention. It was a Kodak, the company, and they say something really interesting that is still in my mind. And it's like the difference between film and digital is physics. And I think it's true. Like when you like go to the movie theater and you watch a film in 35 millimeters, the light passes through the film. But when it's digital, like you push, like the the bulb of the projector is pushing the light to the wall. So that makes like this little difference, like more warm. That Digital digi is or film? No, is. film. Yeah. Film, the old school is going to be more warm. It feels more like human, more real. Uh -huh. Even you can go to AK, like whatever K, things to that principle is not the same. Yeah. It's not 3D, but it involves some this kind of magic of physics. Where I mean, like, you can't, you cannot argue with the tactile nature of yep. materials, right? It, it just, a photograph is something very special. Mm -hmm. A digital image doesn't feel special to me. It doesn't, right. right? Like, like, like the context, the captured image, all of that stuff. It's like, oh, that's beautiful. It's not special the way a photograph is for me anyways. And I, I, that, that's amazing. I, I'm so glad you just said that. That's impressive to me. Yeah, I think that because we can also grasp like, okay, the light had to actually make contact. The light that bounced off of your body, your clothes, this scene had to go and into the camera and interact with what's on this film. And this film, this photograph is a result of that. It's like actually like almost like more evidence, it's physical evidence that that exists, whatever was photographed, yeah. you know? So I think there's a big, that's probably, that to me is a big part of the romanticism of film versus digital. Yeah. But I also think that there's this technological achievement in digital that is also like magical and amazing because of how we can capture such high quality images with a mirrorless camera. That light is still going through that to that sensor and that process is still occurring, but now it's like turning into numbers. <laughs> now it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's getting digitized. Yeah. And there is still a human element to it. It was just a nerd sitting at a computer cranking away some code, you know, as opposed to someone producing a, a film. So. Well, it's also just so much more accessible to be in the digital era. Anything involving, you know, analog is, is very much uh, of a certain group to create and distribute. Whereas if you have digital media, it expands that the amount of creators as well as the audience. Yeah, for sure. And they, they can become more familiar with how you do what you do as a, as a paid, you know, professional photographer or filmmaker. They're like, I do think that's a really big value of digital as well is like everyone's taking photos and capturing video and then they watch a movie or they watch someone else's video and they can appreciate it a little bit more because they also are doing it. God, it seems like the loss of craft to me. I, I, I mourn that. I mean, this is 3D printing for woodworking or sculpture or, or, you know, it's like so, so many people, it's like, oh, it's so much more accessible. Everybody can do it now and stuff. And it's like, well, there is, there is a certain charm to everybody not being able to do it, it not being available. And I'm not saying like I support this like hierarchical uh, privileged position of having the resources to access these things. 
that not at all you know and if that wasn't a component of it then i then i would completely despise digital um the fact that it is more accessible to a larger population of people of differing you know circumstances that's that's amazing but the necessity to have to focus and refine and trial and error and fail and fail and fail so much, you know, that it's not so easy. It's not so cheap. It's not so affordable. It's not so accessible. It's not so potentially even free that you can just kind of sit and, and flub with it until, until something happens. The, the intentionality of the craft of tactile uh, materials, I, I think the loss of that is really a shame. That's interesting because I I think that that can become more romanticized when it is more rare when someone can create something like that. Like, you know, you're in the 20s or 30s or even before that. And it's like, wow, when you make watch a film and, you know, everyone freaks out when they see a train on the screen because they think it's real. And like only so many people could produce those images and, and do that. And I think that is really, yeah, that that does romanticize it in a way that's like kind of almost like nostalgic even though i didn't live so much in the time when there wasn't digital um but i do wonder like if you're that that's your thoughts on film how do you feel about educating people on bonsai and let, making that more accessible oh, versus like um, for sure yeah because Absolutely. like less and less people as you go back in time could practice bonsai outside of japan and now you're basically allowing everybody into this most definitely which is almost it's similar to film to digital well it would be hypocritical to what i just said right like the the master apprentice relationship the isolation of bonsai as a self-contained art form representative of japanese culture and really outsiders not being welcome to come and engage in that traditional lifestyle and learn those very cultural uh nuances and you know having the opportunity to go and come after several people had already broken down those barriers, but also be somebody that got to break down some more ver barriers and, and be a part of that whole thing. And then come back and be like, you know, because when I came back, it's like, oh, it's very easy to see the limitation to this is accessibility. And ultimately, uh, it, it was the it was the leveraging of knowledge, right? Like we're gonna the master apprentice relationship is I have knowledge you want, and you're gonna work for me as as hard as I tell you to if you if you want this knowledge on to have for yourself, right? And it's like that that tool. There's an abuse of power in that which I experienced, and there's a uh, I think a control of the growth or proliferation or acceleration or evolution, all of those things, right? Which is where social media and digitalizing and making accessible these manners of expression has very rapidly advanced uh, the, the understanding of creativity, art, and technique and boundaries that are being pushed. But I think the sacrifice to that is there is still a romance around the Karate Kid and Mr. Miyagi. Yeah. There is still a romance for me around, you know, the master-apprentice relationship, but that doesn't even exist. Even, even 10 years after having gone through, I would consider Mr. Kimura to be the last truly traditional master mm -hmm. where we were part of a feudal system. It wasn't a modern culture in Mr. Kimura's facility. It was a feudal system. Uh and and like just a shred of samurai culture left in his behavior and thought process and and that's gone like, you know, like it's gone from him because he had to modernize uh and the current masters in japan or anywhere else in the world um 
you know, that's not, that's not the program anymore. Yeah. And, and so there is like a, a loss of that. There's a loss of the durability that that created. There's a loss of the sense of dedication and lifestyle and commitment that you have to have right. to obtain that knowledge. And, and consequently, Bonsai is more widely practiced than ever before right now because there is accessibility beyond just obviously Mariah. I mean, YouTube and um, everybody else that has become content creators around Bonsai. Um, and, and, and then you start to ask yourself, like, is the quality going to be as high? You know, it, are the creations going to have the same degree of merit? Uh, is the time going to be had with each iteration to allow all of the components to be teased out and the connections to be made? And this is the architectural discussion right now of CAD versus hand drafting um, and the fact that, you know, an art deco or a mid-century modern uh, era of architecture is not occurring anymore because things are changing so fast they don't massage all the fine, fine points out. You know, I mean, this is like the 4x5 or the 8x10 discussion of photography and then the change and, and yeah. technological evolutions. And so it's like, we definitely starting Mariah Live was pushing the red button in the bonsai world to move to digital in a way that nobody had conceptualized yet. I recognize that. And, and, and maybe I, I don't have regret around it because I do want knowledge to be empowering. I think knowledge is the most sustainable commodity to sell um, and also most ethical commodity to sell, you know, yeah. um, or at least offer for people to have. But it, it changes the game for sure in ways that I didn't anticipate 10 years ago. Yeah, there is a give and take even just with knowledge because with Bonsai, you're using pretty much the same tools like over the, you know, tools have probably gotten better, but you know, you've, um, you know, there's been a revolution with bonsai knowledge all over the world over the past 10, 20 years. And with film, there was this like um, sudden tool that we could use that made things much easier and accessible. Mm -hmm. And therefore like knowledge was then easier to gain uh, about film or video technique. But I think what you're, the romanticism, I think that is at the core of it is like, we grow through struggle and if you're struggling in a uh you know in an apprenticeship in japan and really trying to make it through and struggle and struggle and 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 find that growth um that's similar to you know someone photography using photography or using film for photography or film and like having to struggle a little bit more yeah and like so you're growing through the struggle and you're having to take your, your time a little bit more yep and if you take your time then you're more intentional likely well and i mean it's a it's a i don't know if it's like a scientific fact but i think it's a widely discussed thing like right now our brains are not adapted to the kind of information and stimulus that we're experiencing at this point in time with such rapid exchange of imagery visuals sound tech you know it's just like boom 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 so there was almost a more natural cadence to this more prolonged process of struggle of dedication of earning sort of your stripes although abuse of power is a big part of that too which is what you know there's never a good without a bad and never a bad without a good and that was one of the negatives of that process uh in, in the wrong hands right education can be handcuffing or a lack thereof but but it 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 is it is a constant question that i would ask of is the quality of the creation now in this era with the accessibility and widespread ease of use as high 
if you proportionally considered, although there's a greater population and more minds which are creating new ideas, is the craft of it as high. Right. Of any, and that's of anything, you know, of sculpture, of painting, because now painting as an art form, like how many, how many highly touted painters' names do you know? Quite a few. Right now. Today? That are painting right now. Okay, don't put me on the spot. No, no, I'm just saying. <laughs> you said quite a few. I know their Instagram names. <laughs> yeah, that's a good. That's but, actually. Yeah, but I this feel is, the same way. But this is, you know, a, a really profound painter. Even 50 years ago, everybody knew their name. You know, or a sculptor, a profound sculptor right now. Yeah, I do. Think well, they it were is. also like chosen. I feel like they were also chosen by, like, if you look throughout history, they're chosen by royalty or elite society to be the artistic representative of that era. So sure, it's like, sure. And yeah. and then the gallery like, came along, and the gallery yeah. gallerist became the yeah. the selective high society mechanism. Like I under, yeah, and 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 that's all been deconstructed. But you yeah. know what? I know a graffiti artist. So oh. that's the thing. Mm-hmm. I uh, maybe I don't know like a painter uh-huh. but i know like vansky everyone knows vansky yeah. he's like kind of this so it's like i think from that perspective is like we have more noise than ever before yeah yeah the thing our job is like be selective and like drive through that noise and really pick up who is like what is the interesting part is banksy or michelangelo of the era i don't maybe it might be <laughs> maybe i think the interesting thing is when you see when you do see through this current moment in time, when you see work filter to the top, at this point in time with this kind of noise, when it filters to the top, there's an undeniable. There's an undeniable to it. You know, it's like, what is the intangible undeniable? This, this fascinates me to try and quantify what makes this so incredibly special compared to a gluttony I mean, an absolute gluttony of creativity that's accessible to everybody right now. I think a lot of it can be circumstantial, though, because I think there's a lot of really talented creatives out there. And it it takes maybe knowing the right person, which could be a privilege through birth or through education or friendships you've made. You know, so Banksy made a statement and, you know, I think you can get a lot of notice through making really strong statements politically or whatever it might be. And I don't know who his initial like contacts were that might have helped him get more Someone viewership good. or more Someone you know. good. <laughs> right. So that's the thing. Yeah, is but that, maybe not. Maybe not though. And because, I do- because now you're now you're speaking to one of the intangibles. One of the intangibles is something to say. You have right. something significant to say. Yeah. Like there's nobody m- maybe more making more commentary on current culture than Banksy. Yeah. And making fun of it and pointing out the the errors in it. Like it's uh, he's he's or, or she or they whoever is yeah. is Banksy is really on point and highly highly educated clearly it, or at least has a pulse on society. Because even if thousands of other people had the same opportunities as Banksy, we only know Banksy's name and that's the person we're mentioning right now. So mm-hmm. I, I agree that like there are that, you know, there are clearly of the people that get that privilege to and have put in the work as well. But oftentimes it is, I think, circumstantial to be able to get a lot of eyes on you or ears on your work. You know, uh, you know, there's that select few and then we pick the ones that really stick out and are saying something. And I think, you know, speaking to the times is a really important part of that yeah. for sure. Interesting. 
I've uh, just been kind of contemplating on because I I'm a big fan of both uh, digital and um, and actually having like tactile forms of of art that you can interact with. And, uh, you know, I'll go to the 35 millimeter, 16 millimeter screening of, you know, a film that they, well, w when they played films at the Hollywood Theater, you know, something like that. But um, I also think about just having prolonged access, like uh, the Jinx series, uh, the, without spoiling anything, the like the thing that made that series so amazing was because they could keep rolling and they found things that they could discover when the tape just didn't end or the sound recording didn't end. Mm. And so I think that on that level, you get more truth and, uh, and just more accessibility because the camera doesn't have to stop. You don't have to be stopping and you know you turn on you turn off and and for a documentary element at least uh i think that's huge yeah huh. i agree because i've seen that series and that is a really pivotal that's like the big reveal in a way is that moment where they just kept rolling because they could and, and then yeah. something happens so yeah yeah that's a good point for sure and especially speak like doing the work that we do here at mirai for sure i mean they're like whether it's educational or if it's documentary to be able to just continue rolling and then get people, especially getting people comfortable in front of camera. There's less pressure if you're, you know, rolling digital and you have hours and hours versus, okay, we got 20 minutes of film better do it right. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. get, get yeah. this done. Nail those lines. Yeah. <laughs> Josh um, is, Josh is king of Mariah outtakes. Anytime anything happens in a video, Josh is taking it. He's making it into a, GIF, but I'm going to say it's GIF. I'm just the one everyone knows it's GIF. Uh, <laughs> but there was the other day, what was the stream that you rolled backwards on your chair and you fell off the chair live? Uh, I don't remember what tree it was, but Josh turned it into a GIF and it is the funniest thing I've ever seen. It's just, it's excellent to use as a response in a work conversation. Like, uh -huh. oh, I messed up. Sorry, I messed up. up and then just you know, Ryan falling uh -huh. off a chair. <laughs> The, 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 we released a bloopers video, didn't we? Yeah, we did one on Photoshop and I don't know if we've released, have we released the one that you made of the garden? We have a team, know. we have a team morale we have folder a team still morale though, folder, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Have you seen these? Oh, I've seen some goodies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's accumulated and we should, we it's, should. It's probably it. getting pretty rich at this point in time. Yeah. yeah. We can edit it down. Yeah, we'll we'll see we'll see what we can find for you guys. Yeah, if, you, well, if you guys found this nugget in the podcast, let me know and let me know <laughs> if you want those bloopers in the forum. That is another it's good example egg. of the value of just being able to roll as you get you get lots more goofs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I never I never thought about that. That's a really that's a really strong point because because people don't have to. It's like once you get somebody into the comfort zone. Or it's like now there's a lot more just intuitive, natural action and and discussion and behavior. Yeah, getting out of that, you you kind of have to settle back in again. And I I never really thought that digital empowered that to happen. Do you think? Do you think that digital has led to better acting then? Probably for independent films, at least. <laughs> <laughs> From my point of view, I can debate that that situation where. Before in film, you have to work really hard in pre-production. Mm. And it's something that we're missing in digital a lot. 
because it's so easy, so mm -hmm. simple to just like let's roll, you know, like. But before it was okay because it's so expensive and you really have to know what you're going to shoot. You really have to work on the pre-production side, which you like get comfortable with your actor. If you're doing a documentary, do your homework before you go to shoot. I don't know if digital and film, I think that there probably is a little bit of cost like change and mm -hmm. a benefit there for digital, but you still have the set you're shooting on. You still have your actors you're paying, your crew that you're paying. It's still a ton like there's tons of tons of reason why why you should be doing it quickly uh-huh um outside of the film and digital right portion but yeah pre-production is always going to be like that'll always uh especially with like narrative films you're you're always going to be like go 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 um for sure but yeah in terms of documentary and the jinx is a great example of a documentary where just rolling forever is gonna help you out um yeah JP, what would you consider your favorite medium? As far as like any art or we're we talking more yeah, digital? No, I guess so. Creatively speaking, creative outlets. I think we, for me, music for yeah. sure. Um, music's always been music and cooking, but like I would not say cooking can be an art form, especially from some of the chefs that I worked with. But uh, I think music for me is always like my go-to Um and I'm all about the electronic music side Amen. of things. Amen. Which you and I, you see, I found a, a, a fellow electronic music lover. Yeah, going back many, 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 many years for sure. That's amazing. Um, but yeah, that's always been my release. Like growing up in the middle of nowhere, Missouri, um, like I somehow found trance music as a teenager. Yes. I still don't know how that happened. Like I can't pinpoint when or how I found it. Um, but yeah, that's just the one thing that's maintained my ever since I was a teenager to now is that electronic music. Uh -huh. It's always there, always on. Are you a Napster generation by any chance? A uh, little bit. I grew up on dial-up, so okay. downloading music <laughs> was, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we had dial-up until I went to college, so I didn't download so a lot did of I. stuff. So did I. I had, yeah. I had, a, <laughs> I had a Microsoft Zune mm -hmm. instead of an iPad, an iPod, because I just never had anything Apple. So yeah, I was always the weird one. That's awesome. Yeah, that T1 line at college though. Oof. That oh was my like gosh. Napster, like 35, 40 downloads I, at once. Once I got to college, pumping music through that <laughs> connection. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, as soon as we like learned of fast internet, uh -huh. it was game over. I was downloading everything, burning CDs. Oh, I have. Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, I still burned some CDs in high school, but you had to be really selective because it's like this is going to take me hours, right? Yeah. Right. To like download the music, and yeah, yep, yep. I oh. downloaded happened uh, quick. God, I that happened quick. I downloaded Lord of the Rings: The Two Towers on dial-up in two thousand and two. So that I could edit it. <laughs> it took some weeks. I was going to say, it. how long? I can't believe that you got it to work. Like, yeah. I can imagine, like, yeah, because for me in Missouri, like, when it was dial-up, like, you took the phone line away. We yeah. didn't have two yeah. phone lines. Oh, we, yeah, we eventually And so when someone would call, a lot of times it would 
kick you off the internet, so then you'd have to restart your diet. I learned yes, that quickly. Exactly. That's what I that was my familiarity with it too. That was unacceptable for me, and that I was playing PC games all the time. So I was like, I cannot, in the middle of playing Unreal Tournament, just be disconnected. So please fix this, mom and dad. <laughs> That's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, I feel like Taft asked me the other day. He's like, uh, Dad. Did you have black and white TV when you were a kid? <laughs> and I was like, and I was like, yeah. And yep. he's like, the 1800s must have been tough. <laughs> wow. And I said, no, it wasn't the 1800s. It was the 80s, 80s, not 1800s. He's like, the 80s. That is so long ago. And I, yeah. he's not wrong. Like I, no. I still think about the 80s as like oh, relatively recently, but it's not anymore. That's that's 40 years ago. Yeah. Sometimes know? I think about that where in the late 90s I was like, wow, the 60s. And now like I'm I'm living in that time when I talk to someone that's 13 or 14 or 15 years old and they're like, "Whoa, wait, you lived through the 80s?" And I'm <laughs> yeah, like, right. Oh, right. dear. What did you do yeah. without a cell phone? That's the big one that he was <laughs> like, I was like, I got a cell phone when I was in my 20s. He was like, "What?" I was like, "Yeah." And that thing didn't have video games on it. You were lucky in, to know the call phone number. I was in the era that everyone got phones by like the sixth grade. That is so, but that you're not that, I mean, we're not, not that, that far apart. No, we're not. But that's yeah, far, I remember by the sixth grade, everybody had one of those like razor flip phones. That's where I was at in sixth weird, grade. Weird, weird. If a kid had a pager in high school, it meant that he was a drug dealer, but that was advanced. <laughs> That's true. But that yeah. was advanced. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Pager and they'd excuse themselves and go call on the payphone somewhere. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Whoa, I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, I'm Someone learning a bit of history today. Someone I used to work with today. still has his pager. What's that? Someone I used to work with still has his pager. That's amazing. That's amazing. You know what that is, though? He'll still get a page every now and then. That is staying true to the game right there. Yep. That's like, look, cell phones, that's exactly how the cops find you. <laughs> pager we cool yep. we cool <laughs> untraceable yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah it's a weird it's a weird transition and i wonder where it's headed i wonder where it's headed there's only so many things you can do i feel like this is where digital like going back to the whole painter discussion are there photographers right now that you're like oh that that person current photographers no because i don't know who owns what photos that's I mean, what i'm saying i mean this that's is what i'm saying yeah it comes down to whether or not you're into the neat like I'll, mm -hmm. half of my social media feed is wildlife photography so like i know you know like again like what you said you know their instagram and like with painters i feel the same way about photographers i'm following people that are all over the world shooting stuff and i want to see it and but, but everybody I, know, but everybody knows ansel adams i don't <laughs> <laughs> oh i'm sorry am i the only one that's really? freaking weird oh shit that's weird that happens you, a lot, you even went to art school i know it was a minor not a major. <laughs> <laughs> minor in art history i don't know oh i'm not good on anything get hip to it. this is the whole backbone of yosemite right there <laughs> see kind of like i kind of fall out my art history knowledge kind of falls out after like pop art I kind of oh. get, get a little like, like after the spiral jetty, I'm like, mm, I forgot what happens after that in terms of art, my art world or whatever. Huh. No, I think that's interesting. But, but, but because it's such a widely accessible 
form of expression now. I honestly, this is kind of what makes bonsai unique. If you want to get right down to it, because there is isn't a digitalized version of it. Like even even if we've digitalized the educational format of bonsai, we have not digitalized the doing of mm-hmm. it. There is no digitalized doing, and I feel. I'm sure artificial intelligence at some point when they have nothing left to do that serves the world will figure out how to program an AI thing to make a bonsai tree, right? 3D scan it and then chop away. I guess, right? Or maybe the 3D scan is able to create a living thing. I know they're growing meat in labs and talking about 3D printing food at this point in time. Cool. Currently, I feel pretty safe. Could be completely ignorant superficial safety or security that I'm feeling, but currently I feel like this medium, hopefully at least over the course of my career, maintain. I hope it maintains the romanticism and the necessity to, to have to dedicate. I find that to be really appealing about it. And, 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 and I remember making a choice in college when I was really into DJing electronic music and they went from the turntable and the vinyl to the CD and then eventually to the laptop as the singular system for producing music as a as a electronic dj and i was like i i'm out i'm out this appeals to me not at all because the master craft of turntablism was officially gone turntablism i like that (laughs) (laughs) yeah no it's really interesting to like watch a, a dj on turntables yeah like it's, it's so much harder. Like it, you literally. I, there's just so many things that could go wrong in my head. Yep. Like you just have to like first of all find the record, know exactly like think think about that process in your head. Like how many songs ahead are you going to have to be? Figure out okay, what's the next song that I'm going to do? Like yes. it's very much in the moment, and I feel like we don't get that now. Like now, when you go see a, a set. Most of these sets have been pre-recorded. Like, they're already they're just, done. They're already done. They're just pushing play and oh, like t- turning a few knobs. Like it's really amazing to hear someone that is doing turntables because it's in the moment for yep. them. Like yep. a lot of times they're they've been doing this for 20, 30, 40 years and it's just second nature for them. Like whatever they feel is coming out on the turntables. Yep. Like it's crazy to watch. It's a total different experience. It is. It is. And it's been lost and it's devastating. And if Boneside changes that way, I'm definitely going to be exiting. I have no desire. You know, like even even think about just the time that people have put in to be able to do that and to see it all of a sudden, all of that time be sort of fruitless. I, this is This is the whole notion of education right now in my mind because knowledge is going to be antiquated. You learn a one programming language. You go to school to be a computer programmer. You learn one programming language. And by the time you're ready to be a professional, that language is obsolete. Mm-hmm. What did you actually learn? This is, this is a, 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 a devaluation of education to the, to the extreme, you know? So it's, it's really interesting. I don't know if I'm going to be controversial here, but I like it all. Like, <laughs> give, me, give me analog. Give me digital. Yeah. I have, you know, vinyl sitting on, you know, above my record player. I have cassettes. And then I'm so grateful to have uh, music that I can play and put in my ear pods and then like go on my way. Mm. And I think that each one of them have their different merits. Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful I can take photos on my phone because I'm constantly practicing like 
rules that I learned in school, like rule of thirds or how to frame my shot. And so it's like constantly building up my muscle without having to bring out all my gear. And so for those elements, it, I get really excited mm-hmm. because it, it, it just lets me up my game. And, I, uh, and maybe it's more in my medium specifically, but I feel like I get to learn more. Yeah, I feel that too. I probably wouldn't have made like six or seven short films while I was at home on break from school from film school if I we were only working with film. Like I would have had to go and I don't know. Like I was able to just go and buy a mini DV handheld camera and be like, "Hey, brother and nephew and niece, you want to make a movie?" And they were like, "Yes." And I was like, "Okay, I'm writing the script right now." <laughs> and then I made a movie, you know. And I wouldn't have had that practice. And I to this day I wouldn't be sitting down and being like, oh, like, again, I, I downloaded Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, and I got to re-edit that at will because, you know, so I think, yeah, especially now, like, you can download 4K movies and you have that basic, practically raw footage ready for you to just do whatever you want. And that's amazing. That's I also crazy. think that that is a really interesting peek into your world because I've never downloaded a movie and re-edit it. <laughs> yeah, yeah right. I mean, it's, same. It's, I've never, it's done never that. even crossed my mind to do something like that. Josh is crazy. I know. <laughs> Josh is crazy. Yeah. Josh I have taken crazy. a video of, I have taken, like for an experimental video, because I did a lot of experimental film. I'm not a cinematographer, I feel like, or I wasn't before. Maybe I can do some cinematography now. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> but I used to take like, I would like play a YouTube video and I would record it from my phone onto the screen specifically for that very tacky, weird look. I just mm-hmm. wanted that weirdness uh-huh. to it. I wanted it to feel really like. Yeah. But in that case, I was using it as sort of like, propaganda use mm-hmm. so it kind of had like this eerie tone to it but that's i think the only time that i've actually like repurposed other video footage that i found online like well that. well that brings up a whole other discussion about content rights or ownership and because we live in this world where we people love watching stuff that they're already familiar with you know like a re-edit of something it's a remix of this movie and now it's a song or you know so we live in this pop culture world where if you're creating something already related to pop culture, you're more likely to stand out above the crowd because mm-hmm. people are going to consume that because they're already familiar with it and you're commentating on it. Mm. So, I mean, I'll make I some of the first videos I made were within a video game world. Like I made five or six videos in World of Warcraft with people, with friends. <laughs> and I made a music video. I'm like, hey, here's the scene over here. We're going to have to go take a, a, a griffin over to this city and then film. And I would go into first person and shoot film them. And like, who owns that, right? Because I didn't make that world. I didn't make those characters. I didn't make those animations. But I'm still creating something, right? Like mm-hmm. myself. So yeah. there's this interesting like mix of like, okay, someone else made some stuff and now I'm playing with it. Does that make it mine or is it it's ours? But also people are making money off of this stuff, you know? I feel like this is I feel like this is a very like timeless debate too. Yeah. You know, because like even from who whoever clicks the shutter owns the image. Uh, you know, record companies and musicians, mm-hmm. uh, sound riffs and remixes. It's just like this. It, it's it's always been this whole sort of, and I think now more than ever, Ricardo used to always talk about that once you put a piece of work out into the world, uh, it becomes art once somebody 
else starts to interpret it. And I thought that was a really fascinating thing to think about because it becomes, and you relinquish control of it, and it becomes something that you may not have ever seen, intended, or interpreted it as, and suddenly it takes on this new life, and you learn about it. As the person who created it, you're like, oh, I I didn't know that's what that was. Yeah. And 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 then is it like, but then that doesn't feel very right to me either. Not like I want to have dictatorial control over how people think about the work that somebody creates, but there was an intention behind it, right? Mm-hmm. Does that m- matter anymore? Yeah, I don't know. I uh, just watched an episode of this this new docu series out called uh, "Song Exploder," based on a podcast, "Song Exploder," where they dissect songs and they'll go like piece by piece and uh they did losing my religion by rem and that phrase uh did not for them have a an actual religious connotation but it became an anthem for so many people as they were like growing up and and just it felt like this coming of age song for so many people and it became way bigger than themselves. And they were like, that's when you know it's important and big. It's because it's not our song. It's 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 someone else's. Like oh, it, interesting. They own it. Uh-huh. And it becomes a piece of their identity. And I think that's so cool. Mm-hmm. And if you make work powerful enough for someone to like grab it and be like, yes, I feel seen. And this like melds into my world in this way. Mm. I think that's really powerful. Yeah, that's interesting. And does that count for TikTok videos? Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's okay. yeah. for music. Yeah. Like, I can remember going to a show and exactly the moment the like, sun was setting, what song was playing. Oh, yeah. Like, I'll never forget things like that. And that's just, just happened to be that place in that time, but created a memory for me. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I, I have this certain physical sensation up my back. And it's not like there's like cheesy chills or something cheesy happens. And like you feel like it's Mm -hmm. like there's like a little (laughs) and then there's like the oh, my God, this amazing crescendo moment of a song and you get the chills. It's there's a word for it. They can get goosebumps and everything. But then I have that moment in like watching movies or watching a documentary or even just like watching things play out and having conversations with people where I like have an epiphany or I like connect some dots and like truly witness someone or learn something about myself and like have that moment where I know that like I'm only having it and maybe the person talking to me or the person that created this documentary didn't even intend for this to happen but I'm just like oh okay like and I feel like actually like feel the growth happening inside of me and I think yeah it's interesting I don't know um how many other people feel that sensation but that's another aspect of how it's like when we're experiencing art and someone else's creativity and like taking it in, it is our own, like both with our thoughts and how we're like consuming it that way, but also like how we respond to it physically and our heart rate changes and we feel some chills and yeah. And I think I love that you mentioned that about Ricardo. I didn't know he said that, 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 um, I didn't get the chills hearing that, but it also does. (laughs) It it, it kind of simplifies something for me that, that helps. Uh, when talking about art and how we consume it, the podcast, the podcast Ricardo and I did driving away from the Roman olives in Puglia was like a pretty monumental dive into art and its interpretive meaning and just aspects of that. I mean, it's on asymmetry, it, but it, it like 
Ricardo had a really keen sense of art and had clearly thought about it an awful lot. Uh, and I got a lot out of that conversation and those trips that he and I took together for sure. But it's such a, it's such a confusing thing. I mean, I, I really do think Mirai and like Bonsai and what we're doing now, we're, we're just starting to cross into the threshold of art. I, I, I really believe, you know, everybody wants to say like Bonsai is an art form and this and that. And it's like, well, that, yeah. Yeah, maybe it said something at some point in time. Maybe there have been people that have used it as dialogue. Maybe it's shown the kind of uh, prolific body of work over the course of time that creates a trackable sort of uh, monument to the individual journey or whatever, right? But it does have the power to create dialogue far beyond the, the 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 subject matter itself and that feels like it's becoming for me one of the intangibles where 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 when that rises to the top what allows it to rise to the top is one of the some of those intangibles in a, in a cumulative number of intangibles and I, I i like where we're headed i think this team is facilitating that rise and and that's really interesting to me because i don't think with what it what it would take for bonsai to be an art form i don't think that it's possible for one person as an individual to do it i've I've come to that conclusion that i don't see that being possible well what's interesting is we some of the recent projects we've been doing were were there for you uh we're there for you <laughs> right we're there thank you josh and thank we're, you. Cap we're capturing something you're like that you're doing or the you know the environment that you're in but we are all interpreting exactly. the art and 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 we're all having our own experience and own feelings about the scenario that's playing out uh whether it is specifically about the environment or what's going on in the environment but specifically with bonsai practicing bonsai uh in other spaces to tell a different story that is bringing about like not just an observing like appreciation but a you know it's bringing up thoughts and feelings outside of bonsai and outside of trees right so yeah, yeah exactly it's tapping into bigger metaphorical concepts and uh yeah i think it's just the beginning i do think it's just the beginning and it's interesting because i don't think that the art is actually the the, the tree even inside of saying bonsai is the art form, I don't think that what we're trying to do is make the tree the art form. That's that's really not what's happening here. It's which more like I, a commentary on it, nature's it, own art. It does, right? Yeah. It becomes a dialogue uh, and, and a commentary. I think that's a really accurate vocabulary word for that. And then it's like, well, what what is that? And everybody who's listening is like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Uh, you'll see someday. <laughs> yeah. someday. You'll see. You'll understand. You'll see. We're still working it out right now. That's a, kind of a basic context. Listen, you guys, Mariah, we do a lot of things here. Yeah. We've got a lot it's of things in the It's not just live streams. It's not just live streams. No. These are no. the voices behind There's a lot Mariah. happening. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, actually, I actually think y y the majority of probably what the public thinks that we do is actually a smaller portion. Than what we actually do, which is which is really fascinating, but that there's room to let there's room to let people in and understand that a little bit better once we know what the hell we're doing too. 
That's the goal. Mondays right at Mirai. <laughs> yeah. If you guys haven't seen it, Mondays at Mirai, I think that Josh and, and Ryan made that just yesterday. And it was it was exciting, I think, for all of us to watch. Uh-huh. And we're excited to keep seeing more too. Like, Definitely. It's just it's it's kind of fun. I mean, it's true. It's a true Ugh. look at what we do. E learning. This place is a whirlwind. Greenhouses. Yeah. All the stuff. Weather treat it is it is nice though. That it is all guided by a singular simple thought, which is like this living organism of the tree. That becomes that becomes such a it's such an honest, it's such a very honest thing to focus on. Well, what always comes up for me when I'm working here or wherever this work takes us is the tree comes first, but that doesn't mean that's the only thing. Right. You know, like the tree com- comes first, and now let me look around and see where that leads me. You know. And that's a whole ecosystem of different life forms. And yeah, um, it's a part of that. And then you realize, oh, I'm also a part of that. And here I am standing here. Totally. And yeah, so. And the place is a part of it. And the contributors are a part of it. And the influences are a part of it. And the, yeah, Jen, it just starts to expand and expand and expand. And then it's like, I feel like any, I feel like any, endeavor where you have to focus this hard does just become a doorway right it's like an exposure mechanism all of a sudden it's like whether it's music or food or photography or paint you know it's just a doorway because you're like oh yeah this is going to take which which makes me feel again going back to the feeling and sensation of loss with accessibility makes me feel like do these things that have had the capacity to elicit such nostalgia or chills that cause growth, right? Or whatever you choose to quantify the impact that something has had on you. Is it going to decrease that magnitude for future generations with the continued accumulation of maybe less than spectacular or almost unrecognizable or so convoluted with uh, quantity that the quality becomes obsolete or non non discernible. You know, I don't know. I don't want to be a negative Nancy because, but I fight. I, I'm fighting with that myself. Obviously, this is something I'm asking myself a lot as yeah. as we launch into further technological as evolution. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, it is an interesting like kind of conundrum for you, given Mariah Lives' um, dependency on on digital and yep. and technology and being able to like utilize that to share this knowledge and and um this craft and sometimes art form <laughs> like yeah i think that uh yeah that's it's good to have that balance and be be like considering the the value of um something more analog versus like all these technological advancements and how it can um yeah, guide you in a direction that feels authentic. Yep. To you. The medium, the medium keeps it honest though. And that's the tree. It's the tree doing the work, which I think is awesome. Plus plus you know, over the course of time, the motivation for Mariah Live was to make the skills available that allowed the evolution of because without without the empowerment of skill, then artistic exploration is impossible. You have to be proficient to create. So to give people or to at least give a resource that allows people to build their skill is to empower creativity 
And if this, if we're saying the art form isn't actually the creation of the tree, but contextually the dialogue that all of the elements in and around that create, well then, you know, to get, to start pushing that boundary and see the same phases of growth that other commonly accepted mediums have already gone through, it it is, it's necessary to create a resource to expedite that process. Otherwise, you know, post-mortem, bonsai starts to suddenly take a foothold and it's like well what fun was that to sit and labor through 80 years of a of a career with a medium that nobody understood until you were dead and then suddenly people start making cool shit i want to see that (laughs) you know like i really want to see that i want to i want i want to know what that's like i want to be pushed by that and inspired by that too that does motivate me awesome well, you just wait, like I said, with uh, that taxes out there, and give me now seventy nine years, and uh, we're gonna pass that it's down. It's looking, it's looking good. Yeah, I mean, it's gonna be great. Like I said, my, my son or daughter is going to take that on, and uh, they'll be three D printing their own like copies of that taxes and selling it, and being like, "Hey, uh-huh. Mariah touched the or uh, Ryan Neal touched this tree, and it's now we're vintage." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna have yeah, vintage like uh, hipsters selling your Listen, vintage bones. No, out. hey, hey, this is Cobra Kai. This is the Cobra Kai television series to Karate Kid. Like now, all of a sudden, Ralph Macchio is selling a bonsai tree every time he deals a car. Ah, oh. and I'm not mad at it. I'm not mad at it, but it's like, oh, okay. All Did right. you bother watching it at all? I watched an episode. Do you ever recognize the trees in there? You're no. like, oh, that's son. So no, no. But the original Karate Kid, uh, because Roy Nagatoshi in Southern California, who was when I was learning bonsai, was a very like idyllic figure. You know, I really looked up to him. I went to his nursery several times while I was in college. He had uh, supplied all of the trees for the Karate Kid, and there are trees in the Karate Kid that I recognized wow. from his collection, which was really cool. Because like, <laughs> oh, there's that tree. You know, it's like. Super bonsai moment for sure. Yeah, yeah. Like bonsai geekery at its finest. Outside yeah. of the bonsai elements in Karate Kid, what is it about Karate Kid that spoke to you when you were watching it like for the first time or just when you yeah, when you were a kid, why did you enjoy that movie? Well, I mean, I didn't really care about the bonsai trees. I cared about, you know, the flying crane kick and Cobra Kai getting getting shut down and uh <laughs> I guess, you know, every kid that was in martial arts at that point in time felt like they were Ralph Macchio to a degree, you know, like I got into martial arts. My parents put me in martial arts so I could learn self-defense and confidence to defend myself was like their whole, you know, I really now recognize that they just didn't know what the hell to do with me after school. So they stuck me in martial arts as like a healthy (laughs) alternative as I have a six-year-old now that I'm like frantically seeking martial arts. And Karate Kid came before or after that experience for you? Uh, karate, well, Karate Kid was like, I would say Karate Kid went hand in hand with the beginning of Taekwondo for me. Mm. And then Bonsai came, Bonsai came six years after Karate Kid, but I was aware of it. And then, and then, and and I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting, especially when, you know, Karate Kid 3, when they go into his garden and smash up all the trees and break all the pots, or maybe it's two, maybe it's one, I don't know. I I haven't watched them since, like, I was six. Uh, But that one was like, oh, wow, that seems really a bummer. Those trees are probably pretty old. You know, like, those thoughts Mm -hmm. started registering at that point in time, and then 
some guys vending bonsai trees at Strawberry Days in Glenwood Springs, Colorado, and I was like, "Those, those trees, there they are!" And that was it. That was that was it. Yeah. Spontaneous combustion. Did you know that guy's name that was selling? No, the tree? no, no, because I didn't want to go buy a pre-made tree. It felt cheating. It felt like I was cheating. <laughs> I was like, Mr. Miyagi didn't start it this way. <laughs> I got to go to the roots. Yeah. Go to the roots. Go to the roots. Wow. So you've been analog from the beginning. From the very <laughs> beginning. That's why I was biased. <laughs> from the very beginning. And Mr. Kimura was old school analog. Old school analog. He was not digitally savvy, not technologically savvy. Uh, and he was still making the most cutting edge creations when I was apprenticing with him. So there's never been for me a, a necessity to like innovate the process of bonsai on a technological level. I, I think there's opportunities. I think there's a lot of opportunities. I do. I've wondered with like genetic modification and like CRISPR, which is being right. utilized in agriculture, if you could... I know you you can, and I'm sure it probably already is happening in in um, research facilities as they're figuring out how to maybe propagate um, uh, white bark pines so that they can resist uh, that disease. Yeah, you know, like rust. like you could potentially genetically modify a seed so that you can continue to have white barks, you know, in crater around Crater Lake. Yep. So like, I wonder if. Um, you know, some some bonsai nerds are going to be like, let's utilize this once it becomes accessible. This technology becomes accessible to manipulate the DNA of yeah. mm -hmm. a juniper so that it possibly. grows this way. Sure, possibly. You know? I, I think like the danger, just like they talk about modifying the human body. Yeah. And and then and and then there's really no known repercussion, you know, and and, and then suddenly 50 years later, it's like, oh, this isn't going to hold up over the course of time. And you're a living being at that point in time. With trees, like the challenging thing about the human body and animals and plants is that we don't know that much. Even yeah. now, we don't know that much. And the tree is a pretty perfect system on its own. You know, like to change that, to like replace one little piece in the strand of DNA and be like, that ought to do it. You know, the it, it's almost like the concept of time travel and going back in time and changing one moment in time and the ripple effect that that theoretically would have to changing history for forever, right? Uh, when you take that strand of DNA and through CRISPR, you modify it, one singular gene sequence, all of a sudden, what is the ripple effect in that perfect system? And I think that is a, a very scary thing for me. Yeah, I think that when, especially with our pop culture kind of almost making us think the worst about some kind of scientific advancement with the kind of movies we grew up with and we do often hear the bad stories right like oh this is what went bad that was started 30 years ago i think that it is important to approach conversations about technology with life forms with some restraint um but i also acknowledge that we're living in a time when humans need to step it up and figure out how to how to, you know, not destroy the planet. And if, and given that there already has been advancement with genetic modification and CRISPR that has actively helped people over the course of the last 10, 15 years sure. to survive or just have their farm, you know, continue, you know, growing the crop that they grow or whatever it might be, whether it's drought resistant or whether there is a disease and yeah. it, it, it's, it's um, genetic modification has helped 
like I, I wonder there I think that there is going to be that balance as we as we move on in time and recognize that we have some responsibility to like do something, especially about dwindling wildlife um, and the space that we have and these dwindling life forms like, OK, is it a shot in the dark to just maybe use CRISPR or genetically modify a white bark pine so that we can maybe continue to have them propagate and, and live in their natural habitat, even though no longer they're, they're not no longer natural because we've, you know, like yeah. it's, it's a really weird conversation. I it's think. super, super interesting. But yeah, I also have those, those feelings too, that knee jerk, like, oh God, what's going to happen in 50 years if this is what we think is correct now. But yeah, it's a very interstellar conversation, right? <laughs> yeah. Like now all there is is corn. That's the land it's dying and we got to get off this planet. Like, God, that's a bleak reality. I hope we don't head there, but who knows? Who knows? The predictions are not good. <laughs> if we're just speaking plainly at this point in time, the predictions are not looking good. Yeah. Mr. Kimura used to always say, and I thought this was so funny. I, I asked him one time, I was like, are you afraid of you know, global warming or climate change or something like this? And he's like, no, absolutely not. And I was like, why? And he's like, well, first of all, I'll be dead. <laughs> and uh, and he said, and second, they'll just be the next brilliant mind that will come up with a solution. That was his, that was his like steadfast response is somebody will find an answer. And he firmly believes that. He's just like, this is just what we do as human beings. Yeah, and we've kind of been conditioned to have that be the case because we do. We are good at figuring things out once stuff starts falling apart. Yeah, but. survival. I mean, I don't know what Elon Musk is up to these days, but I'm sure it's probably profound. Or crazy. <laughs> well... I mean, isn't that a lot of isn't that that a fine line crazy, right there? Yeah. Like, yeah. He's at least giving money to someone that will figure something out. <laughs> but yeah. It is yeah, there's this there's a, a relationship between nature and, and technology that will continue to grow. And I, it is interesting. I since probably my first day here, I've thought about that even just with, with Bonsai, because I had been researching genetic modification and then I'm like these seeds of these trees and it's it's interesting to think huh. about the future of of something like bonsai in terms of genetic modification but also who will own like monsanto yeah exactly. all of it they'll right. own all of it because you can buy a tree and then you cannot do anything you just have it there yeah it's true i mean right now going back to uh tesla you don't really own the car they can do whatever they want even mm -hmm. if you buy the car they, yeah, they can kick you out from whatever. They, like if you want an update, then okay, yeah. you pay for it, and they just push a button, and you, you're exactly. now have the update in your car. But like you cannot even fix your car. Yeah. So like, is your car or is someone else's car? Hmm. I didn't even know that. Wait yeah. till they yeah. start implanting chips in people's brains, and all of a sudden you need an update for that. Exactly. I'm looking forward We're to not it. Already there. Are you really <laughs> iOS update? Are you, are you serious? <laughs> yeah, and then all of a sudden they like have a bug and you forget all of your childhood. <laughs> and they're There's like, oh movie. shit, There's an don't, don't, don't update right this. now. We got a bug fix. We got a bug fix. Have you guys, going back to movies, have you guys seen Final Cut with Robin Williams? Because no. if you edit video or, or like video at all and have an interest, Robin Williams edits the uh, the video of the person like a person that's died like he edits their life into like a montage oh, i've seen that it's good yeah, yeah because like 
it's um, there's this chip that's recording every moment of someone's life, and it's saved into this bank of memories that is accessible to like an editor. And so he's editing like the first person perspective of this person's life, like in moments. And it's the good, the bad. Is that like being John Malkovich kind of a thing? I've watched that movie. I don't remember the like inside of his mind, like looking out of his eye sockets at like, you know, what's going on. And yeah, that's basically what's it's like being recorded. But I can't hang. I can't hang with that stuff. Like it's a little too heavy for me. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I definitely don't want someone else inside of my body for 15 minutes uh, uh, just seeing what I see. Uh huh. And how how about just like, how about just like, we're going to back up your memories. We're going to put this chip in there. We'll just give her a little upgrade periodically. And and everybody's like, yeah, cool. Did you put that on on BU 15, Lonnie? No, maybe you 13. Yeah, technology can be used for good and evil. And if those in power, you know, want to, like, yeah, it's that's the struggle. There's so much potential with technology to like help, but then who is in charge of distributing and doing the things? This is another podcast. We're, we're, running, yeah. we're running low here. All right, we have, we have one minute. One minute? <laughs> it's almost 5.30? No, it's almost 5, but I do like to I want to help them set up for the stream a little to, bit. Give them some ample time. Yeah, but we can We, we can. need to do the setup. Well, yeah, we're not set, we're not set up for it all. Are we? Oh my gosh. Put that back down. 2 right. hours went fast. Went fast fast. Maybe 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 that was just me, I don't know. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Huh. Tuesdays are always just a, a total like they mess with the time for me. Because I kind of just like start late and then work late and then I get home and then I stay up and I look at the clock and it's like, oh, it's 2 a.m. I should probably go to bed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I feel like Mariah in general is just one giant time suck. This place is a freaking yeah. vortex. I, <laughs> just it's like it's there's some magnetic fields here or something messing with all of us because time disappears. I came up, upstairs we... yesterday and I thought it was like 11 a.m. and it was like 1.30. And mm-hmm. I was like, what? Yeah, it's because I just we're getting so much four done. Hours. We're getting how, so much done. How did that happen? Yeah, literally exactly. four hours just went by, and I don't understand how or what happened. Some days I'm just like, "Did I? What did I do today?" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> did I get anything done? It's and like, that's the thing is like we've de- we I, th- I think all of us just do so much every day that it just becomes like you just blink your eye and the day's over. Just yeah, like, my work day is whiz by, which is yeah, yeah. There's never Again. a time where I'm like, oh my God, it's only noon. It's more like, oh my God, it's four o'clock. Yes. If you tuned in late and you have a way to slow down time, email us <laughs> yeah. at info. That's at right. That's right. <laughs> Help us out, please. We need more time. Yes. <laughs> Must have more time. Oh, well, it's very good to get to sit down with everybody. Yeah. It's nice to have a reason to just chat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen very often. Mm-hmm. No. Around the fire at Crater Lake. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The dinner table, I dinner guess. Dinner table for yeah. sure. That was good. Out stargazing. Ooh. Oh, yes. Ooh. Some great stars out there. Somebody told me if you go to Crater Lake, oh, Lee Cheadle was saying if you go there, you got to see the stars. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think we were going to get it done. I didn't think it was going to work out for us because they were calling for it to be cloudy and it mm-hmm. was anything but for three of the four days. Yeah. It was perfect. Yeah. That was pretty. I mean, it was like eight o'clock, and you could see the Milky, Milky Way, Way and all, yeah. the, all the stuff. And Mars was showing off. That's right. Yeah. Mars was showing off behind the work. Yeah. Yeah, it the was boot. the closest that he's been in like I don't know how many years. Yeah. 
So good. That was great. Well, shall we set up for the live stream? I think we should. We'll, we'll do it live. We... Signing off. <laughs> sign off to sign back on. Yeah. Sign See you shortly. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> See you guys in just a sec. <laughs>